The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to a Bill's Hangover edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham from The Athletic, joined by Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And uh, we will have later on in the podcast, former Bills and Falcons and Raiders tight end, Lee Smith. He's going to talk about his career, 11 years uh, and he is now retired and has some plans to uh, open up a gym in Knoxville, and he's going to tell us all about his plans on how he's going to occupy himself. I'm sure he'll tell some fun stories about uh, tutoring Kyle Pitts down with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, he'll probably have some things to say about uh, watching the Buffalo Bills and uh, Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night um, and what it's like to – watch such close friends uh, go through a seesaw like the Bills did. Uh, Jonah, I guess I'll ask you. Um, I was at the game. I was at Arrowhead Stadium for the Athletic. Uh, you were watching at home. Um, g- give me your sense as to what it was, what it was like for you. You're a, you're a journalist, uh, a detached observer, but you obviously have your finger on the pulse of Western New York sports fans. Um, how did you... How did you process what happened? And and also, I guess, in the aftermath, how do you process how Bills fans are processing this? Well, so there's a lot going on in my head when I'm watching a game like that because, you know, I watch this one at my parents' house or sometimes I'm at a friend's house. I'm surrounded by Bills fans. So that kind of Bills fan, super invested in the game reaction is around me and I can sense it and feel it and remember what that was like growing up and everybody in the neighborhoods cheering and shouting when the Bills score and, and upset and impressed when the other team scores. At the same time, I'm trying to approach it, you know, as a journalist who covers the team and for the Associated Press, we're often covering the visiting team and you have to be very objective in that role. Then at the same time, I'm thinking of my own self-interest that if the Bills win this game, there's another home game, there's another payday, there's another story to write, an opportunity to cover this team for one more week in a championship game and a playoff game in Buffalo. I thought that was going to be a very exciting week and a very exciting event. So in a very small way, I probably was rooting for the Bills just to see this season continue and, and to have that game happen. And then another sense I'm watching. And I think, Jonah, like, just to add, knowing that Cincinnati had won and that the Bills, like you say, were going to host that game, they would have been favored. So a victory in Kansas City opens the door wide open for the Super Bowl. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. And But then in another sense, I'm watching the game thinking, I'm sure glad I don't got to write this one with all those scores happening and it being a late It was tough. I mean, trying I, to put a game like that into context with a late deadline or a night game where yeah. you're tired. We talked about how these, night, these later starts are different. Um, I was glad that bitch. I was able to just – turn that off and watch something else as soon as it was over. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to complain uh, too much about my job because I get paid to watch sports for a living. Um, it's, it's tougher than that, of course. And I think that uh, most of our podcast listeners or viewers on YouTube would uh, make the wanking motion if I were to complain about uh, having a hard time at the end of the, the Bills-Chiefs game. But you try to get as much written as you can during the game. And once the Bills scored with a minute 54 left to take their first um, late lead, uh, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, that's it. And, and I know that the Chiefs have all the firepower that they do, but the time element involved, I'm thinking to myself, well, the Bills just won this game. Odds are. And I think that the, the analytics would back me up on that, regardless of, of who's about to get uh, receive the kickoff. Uh, and, and, and then when Tyreek Hill scores the touchdown for the Chiefs to retake the lead, and then, this, then the Bill – I had to stop working at some point, and I'm just watching the game as a fan would because, number one, it is scintillating. It is amazing football, the best football I've ever seen live. Um, and I think that I would probably have to split hairs even for a game that I've seen on television. I recall watching the 1981 playoff game between, uh, the San Diego chargers and the Miami dolphins that went into, uh, that went into sudden death and, and the chargers won that game, Kellen Winslow being helped off the field. And, you know, I've seen great games on television, but I've definitely not covered one like that. And so when the game is over, I have a blank page because anything that happened in the first half kind of doesn't matter anymore. Uh, you're, you're recapping those last two minutes, or if you want to go to Butker's field goal with eight minutes left, um, everything was so condensed and I felt really bad for the Buffalo news writers. Um, thankfully at the athletic, we have uh, a, a very loose deadline. Whenever we file is when it goes online, as opposed to needing to get the stories in, uh, to make the presses and to be put on the trucks and to be loaded up and, and sent out to newsstands, uh, all throughout Western New York requires you to file right away. Uh, I was able to at least digest what I just seen, uh, and, uh, try to try to come up with something. So, um, unlike for instance, my days covering the Sabres when they would get to the Eastern conference finals and go into overtime, uh, or any kind of, uh, postseason hockey in which you, you don't know when the game is going to end uh, and you have to file a story essentially at the, at the horn, like maybe within two minutes, you have to have a story filed and, and, and sent to the, to the Buffalo news back when I did it um, as crazy as that sounds. Um, but um, it was, it, it was remarkable. And I think that that's what I just kept thinking about. It didn't feel like work at that point, even though I'm just trying to scramble the stack paragraphs together in a coherent sequence and trying to give the reader some sort of insight or some flair or some color. Um, but I just kept thinking to myself just that that was the greatest game I've ever seen, but also knowing that my audience isn't going to view it that way. Right. Um, do, you, do you cover that game and think I'm, writing a story about the Kansas city chiefs winning the greatest game I ever saw. Or are you writing about the Buffalo bills losing the greatest game you ever saw? I, the latter I have to, I, I'm the, I'm the Buffalo 
senior writer for The Athletic, and I have to capture what I think for Buffalo readers. And they don't give a damn. <laughs> well, I'm sure that partially they're thinking to myself, what a, what a breathlessly phenomenal game I just watched. However, the main feeling is uh, they just got kicked in the stomach. Um, and their team looked like they were headed to the Super Bowl, and now they're not. And uh, it's uh, and, and I didn't realize it at the time until the next day, or maybe even Tuesday, as I start sending texts to friends of mine or people who I know within the organization who are still devastated. And I don't just mean, yeah, man, I'm having a bad week. It is like, people who don't want to go to work anymore and uh, for the day, uh, people who are wondering what's the point. Um, and I'm sure that there's a large segment of fans that, that were feeling every bit as emotional because they are connected and, um, and, uh, and feel like they're part of the team, maybe every much as, uh, as somebody at one bills drive. So it's been uh, it seems to be a really dark week. And I, I think it feels darker. <laughs> I've said it on the show before. My first day at the Buffalo News was the Monday after the Music City Miracle. And so I arrived in Western New York and people were not happy. And this was also seven months after no goal. UB's basketball program is under NCAA investigation and has just fired its coach. UB's football program has just gone from Division Three to Division One A in what seems like a blink of an eye. Um, it just was not a great place to be, and this feels darker to me in terms of the how crestfallen uh, the region is. Well, I think that was worse. Maybe it was because Monday morning you're coming off a weekend where the Sabers had won a game, UB and Bonnet and some other teams. So there were some other things to be happy about even though the Bills had lost that game. But, you know, Nobody I even, that, that stuff yeah, doesn't that register. You might as well have said the, uh, the, the Bisons named uh, a pitching coach, you know. so be <laughs> Well, I mean, there's, there's other things to tie your emotions to. And maybe if, For sure. if you get depressed over the result of one football game, you're too invested in that one football game and that one football team. But that's a, maybe a longer discussion for another day. Um, but I had a, I, what I wanted to say, and then maybe I want to tell another quick story, but the Music City Miracle was worse. I mean, that was just losing the game on a total freak play that might have even been a play that should have been called back, and it was maybe the ultimate gut punch loss, and 20 years later, it's still a highlight. And this was a great game, but I don't, I don't know if there was really a – it wasn't like a Bill Buckner type thing. It wasn't that kind of, I can't believe this team lost that way uh, type of situation. Um, but going back to, cause I've heard a lot this week or people have asked me or the general sentiment has been how disappointing that was that the bills lost the game. Why didn't they do this or this? It was such a missed opportunity. And I saw it more as the chiefs winning the game. Like, yeah, the bills could have played some better defense or they could have squib kicked the ball. We could talk about all these different things. They could have won the coin toss. They could have gotten a stop in overtime, but you have to remember the chiefs made all those plays on the other side. And I, I looked at it as a great performance and a great win by Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs more than anything the Bills didn't do that they should have won that game. And in a way, the Chiefs missed some kicks and they maybe should have won the game in regulation 
even before it got to that overtime situation. But it was the most entertaining game I can think of watching on television, especially one involving the Bills. And it was a great game to watch. And I just look at the Bills. Maybe there's a better fight to compare it to, but I look at the Bills as, as like the Joe Frazier and uh, the Chiefs are Muhammad Ali. And it was a great fight between two boxers. Somebody's going to win in the end. And the fighter that doesn't win isn't necessarily the loser. It was just the fighter that, that didn't win. Yeah, I, I'm recalling the 2007 Fiesta Bowl as probably the greatest football game I've ever seen. And that was uh, that Ohio state, Miami, or no, that's USC. No, that was Boise state and Oklahoma in which the game ended. It was 43, 42 was the final. And uh, it went into multiple, multiple overtimes with trick plays galore. It was just incredibly entertaining. Um, the star running Young back for Texas. Boise State, Ian Johnson, proposes to the cheerleader on the field after the game. I mean, that doesn't really factor into my feelings on that. But if, uh, if you're listening to this, you're not familiar with that game, uh, go back and check out uh, YouTube on the, the 2007 Fiesta Bowl. What year did Vince Young win the national championship with Texas? And I think that was against USC or was it Ohio State? I think I'm confusing a Miami-Ohio State game with this game. But those two, if not one of those two, was, was one of the greatest games I've seen. So great that I can barely remember who right. played it when it was. But <laughs> I do remember that being a very monumental and, and great finish to that game. Uh, I, do, uh, I do think that what happened on Sunday was worse than the Music City Miracle. I know that you say it's the ultimate gut punch because it ended in one improbable play. But that's why I rank it behind what happened with the bills, the bills had the game won twice. They had the lead, or I should say they had the lead twice inside the two minute warning and couldn't figure out a way to come up with a stop on either possession. And uh, we can talk about uh, overtime in a second, but uh, for those who uh, haven't seen my piece uh, at the athletic, uh, here is my rundown. Uh, the nine most heartbreaking uh, games in Bill's history. And I'm including, uh, you know, or I'm factoring in the stakes. So Leotis McKelvin fumbling against the New England Patriots is not on here. Uh, losing on Monday night football to the Dallas Cowboys is not on here. Uh, um, that so it was such a heartbreaker for not me, but for, you know, all the Bills fans that watched the game. But it wasn't a uh, – there were no stakes, really, in that game. So, number nine, I have losing against the Steelers' backups in 2004. Number eight, the 1988 AFC Championship game, which was the first time that the Bills uh, were on the doorstep of uh, the Super Bowl and uh, failed to punch it through. Uh, number seven, Houston, we have a meltdown. That is when the Bills were up 16 to nothing late in the third quarter and lose to the Houston Texans. Um Number six, Jim Kelly being locked, uh, knocked out of his final game uh, with a concussion. And even though the Bills were favored uh, to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars by eight and a half, uh, they lost that game uh, when Jim Kelly would never play another down. Number five, Ronnie Harmon's drop in 1989 against the Cleveland Browns. Another great game, a comparable Absolutely. type of game with the way both teams played and the memories from that game. And it begat the K-Gun offense. That was the birth of uh, Jim Kelly running that, uh, that fast-paced, no-huddle, calling-his-own-plays uh, offense. 
and uh, Marv Levy and uh, offensive coordinator Ted Marchabroda walking off the field thought, uh, well, we, we're on to something here. And then uh, the K-Gun offense was born. Another uh, way, if I could make another quick comparison yeah. to that game. That Bills team won the division but should have had a better record, let a lot of winnable games slip during that season. And if they did, they might play the Browns at home, and that game might go differently. And I think there's a lot of comparables to this past game against Kansas City that if that happened in Orchard Park, I just feel like the Bills would have been in a better situation. That's right. Those Bills were 9-7. and seven. Uh, Number four uh, was Joe Ferguson uh, breaking his left ankle uh, but finishing the game. Um, against the San Diego Chargers. The Bills had won their very first AFC East division title. They were 11-5. and five. Uh, Chuck proud. Knox was the NFL's coach of the year. Rookie uh, Joe Cribs had 1,600 yards from scrimmage. The Bermuda Triangle defense, those Bills teams were good. Uh, Joe Ferguson, uh, even despite that, uh, that broken ankle, uh, the Bills were winning at halftime, 14-3, to but uh, the Chargers win at the end. Number three, I had the Music City Miracle. You know that. Number two, 13 seconds. And then, of course, there really is uh, an undisputed number one, and that's wide right, uh, unless uh, the Bills uh, ever have another play in which they lose out on the Super Bowl by uh, as uh, on, the, on their last play of the game. Um, technically, the Giants had a victory formation play after that, but uh, regardless – uh, that's my list. Uh, Jonah, let's talk about overtime uh, before we uh, speak with Lee Smith. Um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to look at it, and uh, you can get creative. Um, as somebody who's covered college football as much as you have, and, and I know that just from, from talking to you, you've given this a lot of thought. Uh, what do you think uh, is a good adjustment for the NFL to make of all the different ways that you can do overtime. Uh, what do you think is fairest? Well, first I'd like to say that for 50, 60, 70 years, the NFL had pure sudden death overtime and it didn't seem to be much of a problem. And then over time we tended to believe that there's something should change and that there shouldn't be so much riding on the coin toss that, you know, it's a football game, not a casino gambling event. And they modified the rules ever so slightly. And this was around the same time that a lot of college overtime, that the college overtime rules changed and things got a little different. And I've thought, I've agreed with that. I think that there was some necessary reform the way I would have liked to see it or the way I thought I wanted to see it 10 years ago was to take field goals out of the overtime and just have it, you know, the first touchdown wins and that's how the game ends. That's interesting. That would have that would have been that would not have changed the result of this Bills game in any way. Josh Allen and the Bills still wouldn't have gotten the ball back and had their chance to respond. And I think most of the push now is to have a system similar to college in some way, or really just to have a guaranteed possession for each team in the overtime. So it can't end simply because the team that won the coin toss scored before the other team couldn't get the ball. But we've had that in place for 10 years now, and the NFL seems to be doing pretty well. It hasn't really waned in popularity or, or the business, so things don't necessarily need to change. might be more equitable if they did change. I think if you did, the college overtime system I don't like. The games can drag on too long. It really skews scores and stats, especially in the regular season. I would not want to see the NFL do that. Maybe there's a version of the college system where teams start at their own 25 
So you trade possessions, but they have to be full possessions and it's not, you know, already in the red zone and scoring because that really comes down to a two point conversion, extra point contest and things like that. But I, or I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing, this was the greatest game anybody ever saw. Let's see this for 15 more minutes, play another full overtime period. You can't do that in the regular season. You can't. What do if that. it's tied after that 15 minutes? Just in that case, I would keep minutes? playing. I would do, um, you know, in these basketball leagues I play, and when we go to overtime, the first one's three, then it's two, then it's one. So I would advocate something like that, a 15-minute overtime, then a 10-minute overtime, then a five-minute overtime. And I've seen this in soccer games I've covered where they did similar 10-minute overtimes and five-minute overtimes before it gets to the uh, penalty kick shootout. And if, if you have – you play another fifth quarter – you got to hope that somebody's going to pull away. And if it doesn't, we keep playing. I don't know if you'd get to a situation where after three different overtime periods, it would still be tied. And if it did, that would be a pretty compelling television event. And maybe one of the greatest games you've ever seen, similar to hockey games that go to three or four overtimes. That's good TV. You can't do that week to week in the regular season, but come playoff time, that might be a good way to settle tie games and, I, I do agree, though. There's I a health and safety concern, of course. There is. Well, there is. But if we're talking one extra quarter in one playoff game, um, you know, teams that win in the playoffs play another game the next week. So it's already kind of built into the postseason model that there's more games and more minutes and more plays to be played by the teams that advance in the playoffs. Uh, you know, I don't know if one more quarter of football. And if teams don't score, the current overtime system could have them playing another 15 minutes as well. If it was, say, a 0-0 game and nobody could – or just a defensive mind the game where teams were having struggling to score, it wouldn't end so quickly after the coin toss. And maybe that's my, my other – or my end to this rambling point is that at some point the defense has to make a play and make a stop and be a relevant part of the game. It isn't a pure offensive competition. And if it, the game plays out that way to where the team that wins the coin toss is going to win the game, uh, that's on the opposing defense as much as it is the rules and the offense and things like that. And special teams are involved. The ball is not just spotted at the 25. There is a kickoff. Um, but yeah, that's the NFL's uh, philosophy on that. It's that the defense is just as much a part of the game as the offense. And so a defense should have to answer or stand up to a challenge uh, or you know, the, the offense shouldn't have it as easy as the college format, which I'm a big fan of the college format, but I also understand uh, the NFL's uh, stance that, no, we're not just going to set up a team on the doorstep uh, to score, almost like a, like a hockey shootout. Uh, you're going to have to drive the length of the field against a defense that has the ability to make a play. Um, I Jeff maybe, Saturday. There's, maybe there's a better way of figuring out who gets the ball first. Maybe it's something tied to who has possession at the end or who scored last. And so it well, doesn't that, come down to a coin toss. It's still the same overtime rules, but there's a different way, home field advantage of figuring out who gets that first possession. Jeff Saturday at ESPN, uh, the former Colts center, had an interesting um, proposal that I hadn't heard before. And maybe I'm sure he got it from somewhere else too, but I, I had just never heard it before, uh, is – uh, that the game just continues wherever it continues, meaning uh, the game – Whoever had whoever just tied the game um, kicks off, and if it was the last play of regulation, then the other team has the ball with the 15 minutes. Or let's say there's a minute and a half left, uh, and you kick off 
to the Bills, and the and the score is still tied when regulation runs out, the Bills still have the ball right there. They just get to keep going. Uh, so you have to factor in, do you want to kick the field goal here and give them an extended possession? Uh, or are you kicking the field goal? Um, are you kicking the field goal just to force the tie? Because you don't necessarily, I'm, I'm, I'm not explaining it right. Do you understand well, what I'm I saying? I get it. I get it. The issue with that. The game is- just continues as if you're going from the first quarter to the second quarter, as right. opposed to ending the game. Yeah. But it takes, it de-incentivizes trying to win in regulation. And nobody would really throw a Hail Mary and risk turning the ball over on the last play of regulation or trying to win. Teams would play for overtime a bit more often. Well, if you're playing for overtime, but you have to give the team the ball back with the chance to win. So it eliminates the coin flip aspect of it. Right. So but it also eliminates to... the clock. You're not really running the two-minute drill. if Nobody runs a two-minute drill at the end of the third quarter. So it would change some of that strategy. And maybe yeah, that's, that's true. not a problem but it's something that would need to be thought through. And I think experimented with a little bit, it's too bad yeah, that the NFL point. doesn't have like the NBA uses their minor league, the G league to test out some of these rule changes. And the NFL doesn't really have a minor league or a European league to test out. How does this work and figure out, Hey, you know, that's better or that, that we, there was a problem with that, that we didn't really foresee. And that's why the NFL is not going to adopt their rule. It'd be nice if they could figure some of these things out in a lab setting before they actually have to change the rules. And sometimes when they change the rules, they're worse than the rules that were in place before. It's uh, it's uh, I guess good to be a bills fan in that, in the, in this regard uh, the NFL, or at least um, you know, people who follow the NFL, the, uh, the pundits are trying to concoct. Con- All right. I'm st- stammering here through uh, this uh, last few seconds here before we get to Lee Smith. Uh, the NFL pundits are trying to concoct ways uh, to change overtime because they feel cheated that they didn't get to see Josh Allen have the ball at the end of the game. And that's a conversation that you used to hear about guys like Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And that's how great Josh Allen was, not just on Sunday, but in the first game against the Patriots, the guy was damn near perfect over the course of two full playoff games against really good teams um, on the big stage. And he was sitting there the entire time as, as uh, Patrick Mahomes drove the chiefs down the field. And if you're the NFL, you don't really want people coming away from a game like that, complaining about the ending. And when a basketball game or a hockey game or a baseball and extra innings, when games go to overtime, it's a great game. And the overtime was free hockey or, bonus basketball or the overtime contributes to the entertainment factor of the game. And and sometimes that's the case in the NFL, but when it ends like this, there's more of a disappointment and chatter and talk about how that overtime ruined or or the game ended on a sour note because of the overtime rules. And that's not really what you want after the great performance and and television event that that game was. That's right. Uh, No matter how the game ended, on Sunday. I'm sure that you could have had a really good time had you shown up and watched it at Amherst Pizza and Ale House. Watch all the college and pro football games, hockey, college and pro basketball, the pay-per-views, the MMA, the boxing, you name it. At Amherst Pizza and Ale House at 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off Millersport Highway in the 990. 
Amherst priest. Uh, holy smokes, what is wrong with me? My mouth just stopped working all of a sudden here these last five minutes. Amherst Pizza and Ale House is recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. And uh, with all of the uh, betting that people have been doing here in New York State, now that it's legal, you want a place that has a bunch of TVs. And I think Amherst Pizza and Ale House is your spot. Stop in or call for takeout and delivery. 716-625-7100. Again, takeout or delivery call 716-625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Ale House. Jonah, I hope that I'm able to get my act together uh, as we uh, welcome in our next guest, Lee Smith, formerly of the Buffalo Bills, Oakland Raiders, Atlanta Falcons. He's going to be joining us in a second. Um, He's going to tell us what the F he's up to now. That's right. Three Fs, from what I recall. He's going to tell us about his triple F gym uh, right after this. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Joining us now on Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. It is, and we can definitively say this time, unlike the last time he was on the show, former NFL tight end Lee Smith. Lee, welcome back. What's up, guys? You know, I always like coming on this show. I can be myself on here. Right. Well, a, a year ago this time, you were leaning heavily towards retirement. And I think you all but announced on this show that you were retired. And I don't know, a few weeks later, uh, the Atlanta Falcons uh, signed you. Uh, what went into your decision to give it one more year? And um, I guess, how did that go? Uh, because in seeing some of the video uh, that has been produced since you've announced your retirement, you were telling the Bills on the field when you played them in week 16 that um, that, you, that was it for you. Did you know this was going to be the final season when you signed with the Falcons? Oh, yeah. You know, my, my wife gives me a hard time. She says I've been retiring for years, so she still doesn't believe me. Um, and rightfully so. Uh, it's, it's such a great gig. And, and once you kind of get towards the end of your career, I think all of us want to be able to say we left on our own terms. So it's almost like, man, I better retire before they kick me out. Um, so... Last year in Buffalo, I'll be honest with you, obviously with, with the offensive change, uh, and rightfully so, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, I mean, I can keep going. Those guys are a lot better football players than Lee Smith. Uh, and, and the offense Josh wants to run and, and Dave's and those guys. So um, being there and, and kind of not being involved, I thought I would just sit back on the high hog and enjoy it. And uh, I guess I'm a little more competitive than what I realized. So, um, 
it was almost one of those, okay, God, I hear you. You know, I'm not involved in the offense anymore. You know, I've got my 10 years in. Uh, it was a great year. We almost made the championship game. Uh, obviously, I played more there towards the end of the season once the weather changed and different things. Um, but but it just kind of felt like, you know, I, I wasn't getting pushed out, but, you know, I'd never, never been inactive. I'd never, you know, been a guy who played four or five plays a game or, or since I was really young. So I just felt like maybe it was time and my family was ready to get back home to the south. Not that we didn't love Buffalo, New York, and uh, it was where I spent the majority of my career, man. It feels like home. Hell, my family all came up to our Falcons game and Bills game. They said it felt like home in the airport. It felt like home driving to the stadium. It just it felt like home. And uh, we loved that place, but it was time to uh, either shut it down or, or figure out a way to get closer to home. And the Atlanta thing was just a, a dream, kind of a maybe if I could play for the Titans or the Falcons, I'll keep going. I can drive home in three hours. It's a similar environment to what my kids are kind of yearning for to, to you know, ride off into the sunset. We've lived in Tennessee every off season. So uh, Tennessee's always been home. And, um, and when, when I was able to get down there with Arthur, who I've respected so much from afar, and I knew he wanted to line up with big, ugly guys like me, attached to the tackles and run the ball and, and do all that stuff. So it was just the perfect scenario that allowed me to go play one more year, which I'm glad I did. I think I would have regretted it if I would have shut it down last year. Um, and it was, it was a lot of fun. But there was, there was nothing bittersweet about the kind of conclusion to this season. It was, it was just sweet. I'm, I'm fired up about life after football. I'm excited about what's coming, and, and I'm ready. The Falcons traded for you in March – and what was that like? Because with you and being your veteran status, generally those trades don't get made. I'm suspecting that there were discussions before the trade. They wanted to make sure that you were still going to be willing to play. Was this a, did you maybe call your shot a little bit and say, Hey, see if, see if you can get something for me out, out of the Falcons. Yeah. You know what? There's it's, I have a great relationship with Brandon Bean and, and Sean and, and then now Arthur and Terry down in, um, in Atlanta. And, and it's, it's not, it's not a real complicated, you know, situation when you have a veteran player that, that kind of lets the team know, Hey guys, you know, I, I'm ready. Obviously I got a big cap number. Most likely you're going to, you know, fire my ass anyways. So, um, so, you know, once we get closer to free agency and, and different things like that, I had a bonus that was due and it's like, let, let me go home, pray, talk to my wife, talk to my kids, decide what we want to do after football. You know, I would have loved to have retired a bill last year, played six years of my 11 there, 10 at that point. So, and then once it kind of got closer and closer, it's like, you know what, maybe, maybe if I can get closer to home, uh, we can, we can make something work. And like you said, there's not a big trade value for a, you know, big stiff wide tight end in today's NFL, especially not one that's in his 11th year with a decent cap hit. So, um, so it, it was cool that it all worked out. I definitely made it pretty clear that there was a small number of teams that, you know, I would be willing to play for one more year. Brandon and Sean had taken great care of me. I wanted to make sure if at all possible, the Falcons could get something for me. Uh, I had a year left on my contract. I'm a big believer that once you sign a contract, you, you kind of either you play it out or you retire. You don't, you don't kind of force your way out, not to name names around the league, but certain guys that, that get themselves into contracts and, all of a sudden they're, they're not happy anymore. I'm, I'm a big believer in player first. You know, I'll tell anybody to, to, to gouge their eyes out for as much money as they possibly can. This is a business. It's, it's not, you know, powder puff here. But I always also believe once I committed to a contract, I need to play it out. So 
the fact that I was kind of ready to be done or potentially try to get to the South, I wanted to, I wanted to see if I could get them, if we could get them something. But once again, they were going to fire me anyways, most likely, uh, with, with the way the offense was going. And it wouldn't hurt my feelings. I love those guys. But instead of having Brandon Bean can me, uh, I figured we'd try to make something happen and see if I couldn't get down here to the South and, and play for, for these guys. When you're down there in, in Atlanta playing for the Falcons and invested with that team, how much are you able to pay attention and have any kind of emotional attachment to your old team in Buffalo? You know, my, my phone stayed pretty active, uh, you know, throughout the season from those guys. I was telling somebody the other day, watching that game the other night in Kansas City, it, pretty much it was Emmanuel Sanders for Lee Smith was the only difference on the, on the field. And that's a, that's a hell of a deal for the Bills, Emmanuel for me. They won that one. Um, so it's like it's like it's like watching my brothers, man. It'd be the same. I mean, Atlanta's in a little bit of a salary cap shit show down here, and I think you know it's going to be hard to to keep the roster as familiar. It's it's a lot like the Bills when Brandon and Sean first took over. There's a lot of turnover with some of these new staffs and new teams, especially when there's a salary cap issue. But Buffalo's dialed in, man. So the, the, the roster doesn't change. It's the same faces, the same brotherhood. It's the same guys that are all going through it together. It starts to give you that college football feel where you know you get to play with your buddies for four years instead of watching your buddy's lockers get cleaned out, like, like a new staff with kind of a rebuild, culture change, all that, you know, buzzwords you hear all the time, as Arthur would say. But, um, but of course, I'm invested, man. I love those guys. I talked to Cole Beasley on the phone last night for 30 minutes. Uh, you know, Josh Allen was one of the first people to FaceTime me when all this kind of retirement stuff launched, and he's like a little brother to me. Dawson is probably closer to my family than anybody I've ever played with. My, my kids talk about Dawson weekly. So those guys are my brothers. I love them so much. I didn't pay much attention. It's hard to be all in on Falcon football and my teammates in Atlanta, you know, to be emotional about a Bills loss. Uh, obviously, I would see the box scores and, and hit a few of those guys up or whatever. But that game the other night, I've, I've never watched a football game from start to finish in my entire life, ever. And uh, now that I feel like I'm, a, I'm kind of a fan and I'm on the outside for the first time, I said, you know what, invited a few buddies over. Maybe I drank a few drinks, especially once the game ended. I, I tried to put myself to sleep. Um, but it was brutal, man. It, it was brutal. It was heart-wrenching. And I felt I definitely, definitely felt it and just it broke my heart. So that game for sure. But all season long on Monday morning when I was crawling out of bed after a Falcons game, uh, the Bills were the last thing on my mind. It was just trying to get in that six-day race to get ready for the next Sunday. I got to tell you, if that's the first game you ever watched, it's not always that entertaining and that dramatic coming down to the end. That's the way it should be, man. Uh the Super Bowl is going to leave a lot to be desired after that one. I think whoever wins that game wins it all. So we'll see if I'm right. I'm not one of these gurus that, that's calling the Super Bowl champion by any means. But but I, have, I had a feeling before the game, and I still have a feeling that whoever got that one is, is probably the one that's going to hold up the trophy. Uh, there's obviously three other talented teams left in this deal. But, uh, but that game was a big one, man. And Josh deserved to win it. The whole team deserved to win it. It just all came down to who had the damn ball last. And uh, it wouldn't have mattered how many seconds were on the clock with those two quarterbacks the way they were playing. So it was it was brutal to watch. Um, and and I, I do definitely love those guys. Uh, Sean and Brandon will be around for a long time. So uh, I'll definitely be mooching off little Bill's trips with my family over the next few years until all these kids of mine go off to college. So uh, it's, a, it's a special place to us. Lee, what's it like watching these guys go on a run because they are your friends and you're rooting for them but how close you were to being on this team. You were just on it. Like you said, there was, there was not much difference between the unit that you played with on a weekly basis in 2020 and what you were 
watched on, on Sunday night, you could very easily, even though you say you didn't fit necessarily in that offense, uh, the way they wanted to run it, but you could very easily, I'm sure, put yourself in those games. If you closed your eyes and thought about it for a couple of seconds. You know what, man, um, just the New England Patriots drafted me and then released me at final cuts. And, you know, I think they've won a couple Super Bowls since then. Uh, uh, and then, you know, the, the Bills released me after we went to the AFC championship game and they're hot again. They're, they're becoming America's team, the red, white, and blue, you know, nothing against Jerry land and all those guys down there, but the bills are getting to be the, you know, my, my cousin just got back from Disneyland and he's like, bro, it is crazy. The bills jerseys down there in Orlando or Disney world down there in Orlando. It's just, it's becoming a team that, they're back, man. It's awesome. It's, it's fun to watch. But never for one second from when pa- the Patriots released me and they're winning championships to the Bills this year, I've just – I've never lived in that headspace for whatever reason. Uh, I just, I'm just happy for the guys that I know on those teams and love watching them have success. But, man, I'm getting paychecks in the NFL and taking care of my family and building new relationships and brothers down in Atlanta that I'll talk to 10 years from now when they have their first kid or, you know, they, they – retire or whatever. So uh, to be honest, Tim, that, that, that shit doesn't really bother me. I don't really think about it. It's just kind of like, man, I'm happy for my buddies. I am where I am for a reason. And I just, I just never really got in that headspace. And thank God, because I'm, I'm, I can imagine how it would drive you crazy. Some of these guys that play somewhere for a long time, then they leave and they win a championship and they feel like they should have had a ring or whatever. You know, when, when they cremate my ass one day and, Alicia flushes me down the toilet. I don't really give a shit if a Super Bowl ring goes with it. <laughs> I would have loved to have won one. It would, have, it would have been a great deal. It's the pinnacle of our sport. Don't get me wrong. Every time I played my final game, especially in the playoff races, it was brutal and gut-wrenching. And there's nothing like winning a championship and being on that stage. But it's sure not something that will keep me up at night the rest of my life, to say the least. That ring would have ended up at the pawn shop long before you died anyway. Correct. Because uh, I just don't care. I wouldn't have been this guy wearing it to church you know, so, or, or out to the, you know, double dogs down here in Knoxville, Tennessee to get my chicken fingers and fries after my kids' little league games, you know, so, oh, there's Lee Smith. He won a Super Bowl. That's just not me. So uh, you're right. I would have ended up probably giving it to one of my kids or something, or they would have lost it. And who knows? Do you think that's uncommon with NFL players, especially you, know, you think about the great players and some of the great quarterbacks. And if they don't win a Super Bowl, that it's always talked about that they didn't do that. Do, do the players themselves, do you think, feel that way? Man, listen, it's just such it's – a, it's a totally different world we live in now. I mean, these, these guys are on their phone looking at Twitter before they take their pads off. So, uh, you know, what, what the rest of the world thinks about Lee Smith as a football player, I really don't give a shit. I hope that people think Lee Smith's a great man, and I hope people think I'm a good husband and a good father and, and – that, that I played the game the right way and I, I treated people the right way throughout my life. But And the football side of things is going to allow me to do some really cool stuff post-ball to really help a lot of people and pour into young kids. So don't get me wrong, football has changed my life and I love the game beyond measure. But for me personally, it was always all I cared about is when I announced my retirement, all these former teammates that, that blew up my phone. That's what's important to me. But I'm also not a quarterback. So I don't have to hear that noise all the time in my life. Like, I'm not going to go somewhere and people say, man, you just never won one, Lee. Like, that's just not something that goes on in my world. As opposed to, you know, I, w- I was with Derek Carr. I, I truly believe Josh Allen's going to get one very soon. Uh, 
you know, you look at some of these quarterbacks, and that's the no, it's it's in basketball too, it's in baseball, it's in every sport. You can't be the goat if you didn't win one. You can't be this, you can't be that if you didn't win one. Well, hell, we're talking about a team sport here, guys. We're not talking about Tiger Woods. It's pretty easy to, to decide whether or not he's the best or not. So, um, I don't know, man. I think it's definitely the pinnacle of our sport. And do not get me wrong, I chased it for a long time, and I dreamed about it, and I wanted it. And there's nothing that. I would have truly cherished more than that during my playing career. But now that I'm kind of moving on here, it's only been a few weeks, but I'm moving on. It's just not something that's going to keep me up at night. But to answer your question, the quarterbacks, that's a question for them. Uh, that would that would be a Phillip Rivers sit down, a guy that, you know, even Matt Ryan down in Atlanta, if he if he never wins one by the end of his career, these guys that that play 15-plus years and, and – throw top 10 passing numbers and, you know, have Hall of Fame statistics. They just don't have that ring. How do they feel? I have no idea, man. That's a question for them. But it, it, sure, doesn't, it sure doesn't keep me up at night. Lee, you're known as one of those guys who left a mark wherever he went because of what you meant in the locker room. And it might not show up on the stat sheet uh, how great of a blocker you are uh, or – you know, the, the, you would score a touchdowns. We were talking about right before he came on. Pretty, pretty high percentage. Uh, Seventy-two career catches, eleven of them for touchdowns. Um, a lot of big touchdowns uh, for the Bills. A lot of fun touchdowns. Um, but you were known as a locker room guy, and your teammates would always talk about you when you weren't around as to how much they loved playing with you. Um, and then, even when you'd go on to other teams, they'd talk about how they missed you. I'm going to allow you to, to brag on yourself or, or at least maybe philosophize about why that is so important because you, and were you always that way? Uh, or did you, did you come around to that uh, as part of what you wanted to bring to a team and, and, and be an asset? You know, I think the bottom line is I just always wanted to be a pro's pro that the young guys could, if, if a young guy was following me around the facility, and, you know, they listened to the things that came out of my mouth. They watched the way I operated. They, they, even so much as when my wife and kids were around, they watched how I was with my family. I just always took pride. And don't get me wrong. You know better than anybody, Tim. I'm, I got a lot of screws loose. And sometimes it might be best to look the other way when you're around me the way I act. But I always wanted to be a guy that if any, if any of my teammates emulated the way I carried myself, it would only be beneficial to their football career and their life. And, and that was always my thing. I just felt like a ton of pressure to be the guy that Dawson Knox could look to and get peace and calm, calm breeds calm. One of my buddies told me that and I never forgot it. Just when, when you're a guy that when, you know, you're not, you're not an energy vampire, right? Um, and, and that's something a couple of those, a couple of those weeks in Buffalo, I won't lie to you. I'm inactive for the first time in my career. I'm just kind of standing there around during meetings and practice and, you know, all of a sudden, I feel like I'm becoming an energy vampire. I just – I cannot live in that space. It drives me insane. I feel like that's that's just the worst. So, I, I don't know that, that there's some secret sauce. I think God made me how I am, and I just try to be myself. Because one thing I know for sure is that being genuine is all that truly matters when it comes to leadership. And God blessed us all to be different types of leaders. Uh, there's been plenty of guys that – I sent a group text the other day to the Ryan Fitzpatricks and Kyle Williams and Eric Pierce and Scott Chandler and – you know, Fred Jackson and all those guys from when I was younger that, you know, it ain't like they sat down and gave me big, long speeches. I just watched them, man, and being able to watch them and just listen to them, talk to each other, interact with each other, it, it allowed me to grow at mock speed 
you know, those those two Chan Gailey years with the men in that locker room, there was a lot of grown-ass men who were pros, pros, who played the game and, and practiced and worked the right way. So I just watched them. And what they did for my career, I wanted to make sure that I never let my teammates down by being somebody that if they watched and emulated, it didn't do anything but help them. So I, I don't know if that's the answer. That's just kind of the way I tried to carry myself at work and always tried to keep it light and have fun. And pro football is a stressful-ass place. And you watch, you watch your buddies get fired. You watch your buddies, you know, they'll, they'll have a different name in that locker before you can fart. And, and, and then your, your buddies and their wives and kids are on a plane somewhere else. Or I've, I've been places where a buddy gets cut and he's, you know, in Cleveland two days later and his wife has a baby four days later back where he just left, uh, you know, in Oakland one year. One of the one of the best men I've ever known. His name was Matt McCants, and pissed off the whole locker room. He was a he was a locker room guy. We all loved him, and poof, he's gone. And um, in those moments, you just it just makes you sit back and think, all right, I'm going to do everything I can to keep it light for my teammates and make sure that with as stressful and hard as it is to be a pro football player, we all try to in, enjoy these moments. And, and enjoy this ride because it is the best job in the world when you really sit back and think about it. Your retirement plans, you've announced them. Uh, the Atlanta Falcons put it on their uh, Twitter feed when uh, your retirement was announced earlier this week. Uh, you're going to open a gym in Knoxville, and it sounds to me as though you want to keep doing exactly what you were just talking about with football players, just not necessarily on the NFL level, but maybe help them get there. Can you tell us about uh, the Triple F gym? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm juiced. I couldn't be more excited. It's, it's going to be right here in Knoxville. Triple F, Faith Family Football. And like I always say, it's, it's in that order. That's the three things that have saved my life, um, my, my faith life, my beautiful bride and kids, and then obviously football did a lot of cool stuff for, for me and my family. So, um, and, and it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Once again, I, I, I did my homework and called all my buddies and the things they missed. And it was always the brotherhood, the brotherhood, the brotherhood. And it's like, all right, what I truly enjoy the most about the brotherhood is, is helping these young players grow and, and being around them and, and kind of trying to be an asset for them and their careers and their lives. So how do I emulate that outside of football? Um, well, I can help young people. How does that look? Well, I, I can, I love, I love football. So let me, let me do a gym and, and I didn't want to be the asshole that hung Josh Allen's jersey on the wall and said, come train with me and I'll get you to the NFL, you know, even though you ain't got to be real smart to realize that's most likely unlikely. And most kids only get to play sports for, you know, 10 years of their life. That's it. And I want to be a part of those 10 years and help them grow athletically. But don't get me wrong. I, I got a family to feed and, and I'm building a, a really nice, cool building. And I want to give them an atmosphere that pro athletes get every single day. And that's not cheap to do. But, um, but it's going to be as elite as it comes for these young people and, and build memories. But most importantly, you know, listen, if Tim Graham wants to – I said to Ramon Foster on his little show earlier today, if Tim Graham's son wants to come train with me, I'm getting in your pockets. I know how deep they are. <laughs> so so, so you're, you're, you're paying me every month. But the, the, Jack, the kid, Jack Graham's not going to get uh, past uh, – uh, uh, Friggin' flag football based on what I'm going to pay you. No, come on, so, man. Come on, you man. can only we're coach. Gonna... You can only coach him like for what? What can I like 13 bucks a, a month or something? No, man. Listen, when he comes over and hangs out with me, he'll, he'll start looking prettier, jumping higher. He'll, he'll, his girlfriend will get prettier. It'll be really cool. I, I got his back. Just send him down here. All right. 
but um but but the, the kid on the other side of the kid on the other side of town who has a single mom and might be growing up the way I grew up in a toxic environment with alcoholism is, is kind of my uh big heartstring just based off of some of my childhood stuff with my dad and you know I want to I want to develop a a definite program to where as much of my kids in this place can, can kind of be funded through uh, all these wonderful, wonderful men that I've been able to build relationships with over the years and, and the resources I have to, to reach out to, you know, the, the Josh Allens and say, Hey pal, I might, I might need a little, might need a little beer money down here for, for uh, little Johnny who, you know, dad beats him, you know, half the nights at home. So I'm going to get him over to my gym and love on him, and, you know, he's the best player in town. So athletics can change his life, but everything else in his life is, is, is just the anchor behind the boat, so to speak. So let me get him over here with me and, and see if we can't get that anchor, you know, up as much as possible in his life. And that's something I'm passionate about. So uh, it's, it's going it's gonna to be kind of a two-headed, two-headed monster. It's, it's going to help me being in a really cool environment every day to hang out with young men. Uh, which ain't much different than the locker room I've been in for the last – you know how we talk in there, Tim. It's it's not much different than a high school locker room. It's the only place on earth where you can be a damn mess. And I enjoy survive. the fuck out of it. Correct. And and everybody thinks that pro football players are just dumbasses and bad people and leave the game and, you know, they had $40 million in the bank and now they're broke. That's not the case. These dudes play three or four years and make a couple million bucks. And then they try to go find an environment like like the only thing they know and there's just nothing else like it. So um, I, want, I want to build a really, really cool environment for these kids, myself, my family, everyone that's involved with the gym. A uh, guy named Rich Burnett, I recruited for six months out of Atlanta, Georgia. I didn't think he was going to take the job. I was a month or two away from trying to find somebody else, and boom, he calls me. He's like, the Lord's on my heart. Let's talk. He takes it. He's the Elon Musk of training kids, and boom, he's my right-hand man, just like that. So God's got his hand all over this. Regardless of how much I drop the F-bomb, I, I, you know, I do love Jesus and he is the foundation of my life. And it's the only thing, the only reason I'm sitting here talking to you guys after 11 years in the NFL. So it's going to be a cool place, man. You got to come down and check it out. Um, it's it, it's going to feel like you're walking in the Buffalo Bills locker room and, and weight room right here in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. So it'll be awesome. Can you give us a sense, like, what are the workouts going to be like? And maybe this is a different question, but what's it like to, to you know, clang the weights around with Lee Smith? You know, when, you, when you're in this game, you realize that, like, you realize in a hurry that you only have one body. And I'll never forget Sean Merriman, you know, blast from the past here for Bills fans. He used to always be laying in the training room. And when I first came in the league, it was bad to be in the training room. You know, you, you, can't, you can't make the team on the table, right? Like, number one ability is availability. And, you know, it was like a curse going in that training room. And Sean told me, hey, man, listen, this, this treatment is free. Get all of it you can if you want to play a long time. And I still was a little nervous to go in there because I was a, a young slappy who hadn't, you know, done anything yet. I, the last thing I wanted to do was the coaches thinking I was soft. But it's true, man. If, if you don't take care of your body and your body lets you down, your your athletic career is over. A, a hurt player is a bad player. When you, when you see guys go out there and limp around, and, and the, the media sure don't cut them any breaks, as you guys know. Uh, and some of the things these guys go through injury-wise behind the scenes that no one in the world knows, all everyone knows is – they didn't get any sacks. They didn't catch any passes. They can't get open. But that's because they got a hamstring tear. So, you know, my thing is when you ask what kind of workouts, that's a hard question to answer because if your son's a 13-year-old tennis player, he's going to train a lot differently than my 18-year-old football players train. So it's all going to be sport-specific for the kid, for their sex, 
for their age, you know, depending on what part of puberty they're in. Everybody doesn't hit it at the same time. Some of these kids are like Gumby still with no hair on their body when they're 15 years old. So it's all going to be specific to these kids, you know, sit down with their parents and make them know, make sure they know that their kid is getting trained like professional athletes get trained. It's custom. It's all dependent on your kid, his body, his position, the time of year. You know, I don't train the same way in, during the season that I train in the off season. So uh, it's, 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 it's going to truly be a professional sports environment with a lot of really smart people that have been around a long time and a big idiot like me who was able to figure out a way to trick them into keeping me around all these years. So, uh, so that's, that's going to be the deal is I want to give these people here in this community down here in Tennessee something that I would have never had access to, which is an elite training facility with a lot of people that have professional experience. And then also, like I said, be able to grab a hold of how many ever, whatever the number is of those kids here in town that athletics can truly change their life if they can just stay on the rails and, and not do the things I did when I was their age because you just can't get away with that shit anymore with camera phones and social media. And it just, it's just a different world. So I want to go kind of grab them and, and, and help them you know, allow this athletic thing and this sports thing to change their life like it has mine. And that doesn't mean playing 11 years in the NFL. Hell, if you can just get a free college education, it's a pretty good deal, man. And, uh, and that's, that's what I'm fired up about. Or even just be able to play the game a couple of years longer at a higher level. I mean, that might 100%. be – you look back on all the missed opportunities of the, the guys who were sitting at the end of the bar wondering what if they would have just given it a shot. Or, and you know what? It's not necessarily if you've given it a shot. All you needed was maybe one person in your life to say, you know what, you are good enough. Um, and just to be able to think, oh, shit, I didn't know that because nobody's ever said so. I, ca I can go play in college? Oh, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. Lee, you know, or Marcus or whoever, whoever you got in their ear there. So sometimes yeah, they just need a little information. 100%, brother. And and kids kids tune out their parents. I watch my, my kids do it to me all the time. As we all know, uh, they, they sure do it to our wives. My poor wife, she's outnumbered around here. I don't have any damn sense. She's got four kids. That she's, you know, it doesn't matter how high her voice gets. It's it just your kids tune you out. So being a different voice for some of these kids, their parents can come to me and say, hey, you know, little Johnny is, is doing X, Y, and Z. He won't listen to me um, or whatever. Just, just be that resource. Like you said, the amount of professional athletes, and this will blow your mind, the amount of professional athletes – that just don't think they're good enough at times is, is hard, has been hard for me to watch. I want to be like, good Lord, man, are you not watching the same tape I'm watching? They can't cover you or you're running by everybody or you're bigger and stronger, like just whip his ass. Um, and, and that's exactly what I was talking about with, with your boy. Get him down to me, man. Get him looking prettier, jumping higher, running faster, all that fun stuff. And when, when you're a confident young man, who loves Jesus and, and understands that, you know, you're allowed to screw up, but when you screw up, just don't do it again and get back on the rails and, and just be fired up about life. You don't have to go play pro football to be happy. Young, confident men who love their families is, is what life's all about. And, and that's what, that's kind of what I want to, the kind of the mantra, mantra of my place to be. I want to uh, mention, at least get into your, you know, talking about rubbing off on people. You didn't know when you were traded uh, for, when the Falcons traded for you, uh, that you were going to be working with Kyle Pitts. Um, what was that like to be around him? And is he one of those guys that you have to tell uh, how good he is? 
I think when I got traded to the Falcons, everybody on the planet knew I was going to be playing with Kyle Pitts. <laughs> like, like it wasn't real hard to look at that deal and figure out who the Falcons were going to draft. If they had any sense, you know? <laughs> right. So, um, but no, I know what you mean for sure. He don't get me wrong. He's an extremely confident, well-rounded young man, but he came into the league at 20 years old and you don't know whether to shit or go blind when you come into this deal from college, especially after all this COVID crap these last couple of years and the way college football has looked so different, you know, and then boof, he's in the NFL as a top four pick. It, you, you can Google search his, his signing bonus. It was, I, I worked 10 years to get that kind of money. Um, so, and then he's got to replace Julio Jones and it's, it's in Atlanta where it's a very, 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 you know, different culture there in Atlanta with a lot of distractions. And it was just so many things that, I think, no, he wasn't one of these guys that didn't believe in himself because he's an avatar and he's better than everybody else. But it is one of those deals where 17 weeks is a long time. 17 games is a long time compared to college. The whole body work stuff I was talking about, just we, we, were, on the, we were on the field the last week of the season, and he's like, man, I feel like I finally kind of sort of got it figured out for next year, what my schedule is going to be, when I'm going to get my body work, when I'm going to do this, when I'm going to do that to where – you know, I don't just feel like I'm a fart in a whirlwind all the time. He didn't use that slogan. That's that's my slogan, in case anybody wanted to know. Kyle, you can use it, though, pal. But um, but just he feels like he's all over the place. And finally, he felt like he kind of, with with watching some of the video, it wasn't just me. Cordero Patterson and him, you know, gravitated towards each other pretty early. Grady Jarrett loves on him all all the time. I think him and Grady Jarrett will be two peas in the pod. They're they're both elite players who work hard and, and do things the right way. So it was fun hanging out with him, man. But he wasn't one of those dudes that had to boost his confidence. Let's put it that way. He was just a dude that I was kind of there for when he needed me. You know, um, he, he doesn't need pep talks or anything. It's just one of those deals where you do not know what the NFL looks like until you're in it. And having a veteran in the room just to kind of watch him operate is always very helpful. How about a couple Falcons from Western New York? I don't, I don't know if you got – if you have much impression that Steven Means on the defensive side of the ball, Kadri Olison running back from Niagara Falls in your year down there, did you notice anything about them? Yeah, you naturally, you know, spend more time with the offensive guys, obviously. So Q uh, was in a room with, with, with CP, and me and CP are extremely close. Our families are extremely close. Our wives are big buddies. So Q was always around kind of with me and CP at the, uh, you know, at the Mexican restaurant. If you ever – Want to find for Daryl Patterson, just, you know, get a coon dog that can smell tequila and margaritas and you find him pretty quick. But, um, you know, CP's the best, man. He's another veteran leader that just doesn't talk much, doesn't say much, but just comes and goes to work. So Q obviously gravitated towards him, um, which which put me around Q a lot. And he could – not a better person in the world. He's still dating – dating is uh, girly from the Buffalo area and his folks are still up there and – uh, he had never heard about Mulberry, which was extremely upsetting to me. So I educated him on that. But um, but he's he's a good kid, man. And Steve's the best. Steve's just a big meathead. He just wants to run and hit people and play ball and, and do it with a smile on his face. Never seen the guy in a bad mood. So those two dudes were definitely two guys that uh, will put a big smile on my face if, if I see, you know, walking through the mall in 10 years because they're just such great human beings, both of them. What secrets do you want to tell about any of uh, your former Bills teammates? You mentioned there that, uh, you know, if you want to find uh, Cordero Patterson, uh, just, uh, you know, try to find the place that has tequila. Who, who do you want to uh, – whose balls do you want to bust uh, from uh, one Bills drive? 
Let me make it, let me make sure I'm clear. It has to be really good tequila. Um, so well, CP's a little high taste. CP's a little high maintenance with the tequila, but uh, he knows the spots that has the good stuff. Um, let me see here. The my Bills guys, see, they're all still playing, man. CP's towards the end. He's he's got plenty of money. If everybody knows he loves tequila, it won't affect him, especially the way he played this year. So. Uh, you, you got to kind of be smart. These guys get in personnel meetings and all of a sudden, you know, making a joke about tequila turns man into an alcoholic with these goofball guys upstairs. So um, I'm, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole with my Bills buddies. Once they're I done see. playing, we'll talk. Well, t- tell me this, and, and not a, I'm, not telling, I'm not asking for tales out of school, but we're talking about young tight ends. You mentioned Dawson Knox earlier. The guy had a breakthrough season, no matter how you look at it. Uh, a tight end was a big question mark. Heading into the season, it's one of the it's one of the the positions that everybody talked about all summer long. What are the Bills going to do at tight end? They're going to have to trade for somebody. Maybe they'll get Ertz. Uh, maybe the or even going back to the draft. They got a draft one. They got they need tight ends. And then the season starts, and people are saying, "Holy shit, they haven't done anything at tight end yet." And then here's Dawson Knox, um, just hauling down touchdown catches, getting open, not dropping the ball anymore. That's obviously a big part of it, but. What what did you see out of your uh, your former teammate there, and why he was able to do what he did? Hold on, give give me two seconds. I got this damn bird in here that's going bye bye in, in two days. My wife put it in my office. I'm about to go get rid of this loud son of a bitch. I'll be right back. <laughs> the bird's got plenty to say about Dawson Knox. Whatever. Right. Well, the birds had plenty to say the entire interview, but I've I've enjoyed it. You know, it's added a, a little. Uh, I thought maybe it was in your tree, Jonah. I wasn't sure exactly which. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. which microphone it was coming from. Uh, I didn't notice the bird before that moment right there. This no, reminds it's... me of when Lex Luger had to leave our podcast to go chase away a window washer or something. <laughs> uh, can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. What do you got? A cockatiel? Uh, I told you, man, Daw- Dawson's, Dawson's my family's favorite. Even this goofy bird. Um, <laughs> we we got to give the bird away while my daughter's at school tomorrow. So that bird's going bye-bye. And my wife hates the bird, but anyways, um, Listen, man, when you say everybody was worried about the tight end position, that's just all the outside noise. That Arthur Smith says it best. That's just the hot takes. You know, everybody's got their hot take, and there's all these different narratives. And, listen, there are a lot of gurus out there that get a lot of money to talk about football that know nothing about football. And good for them. I think it's awesome. Maybe I'll start talking about ballet and see if I can't develop a Twitter page, make me a ballet expert. Um Nobody's surprised that Dawson Knox went off. Nobody's su- when I first came back to the Bills in 2019, we were getting booed off the field. Josh Allen's never thrown for 300 yards. What are we going to do? Can we bring back Jim Kelly? It's like, what world do these people live in? And I love Bills fans. They're the best fans in the world. Don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, it's just – it's just they. and I'll, I'll, hey, I'll be honest with you, man. I was watching that game the other night. As a fan for the first time, I see why these fans are so damn crazy because there's nothing you can do about it. You're emotional. You love these teams. You, you are invested in it. It's, 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 you, you block off five hours of your life with your family to sit down and enjoy this awesome, awesome deal that the NFL has created. And, and it's just – I'm telling you, man, I've, I've never been that worked up playing a game ever. And to sit there – and I'm getting loud, but to sit there and watch the game in person – I told my wife, I said, all right, I, I get why these fans are so wild and crazy and passionate and they love this Wrong. guy, then they hate him, then they love him, then they hate him. And it's like, holy smokes, man, this is stressful. So I'm not beating up on the fans and all the gurus out there, but 
inside these buildings, we know who the real dudes are. We, we, we know what it looks like, especially as veteran players. We, we, we know who the ballers are. And Dawson was a baller, but, I mean, the guy never scored a touchdown in high school or college. And he left as a true junior because he's such an athletic freak that he knew he was going to kill the combine and he was able to get himself drafted early. And, like, you just truly look at his journey. It's a little different than the Kyle Pitts of the world. It's a little different than some of these top top 10, top 20 pick tight ends that have kind of refined their skill set already. Dawson was raw as they come when he came in. Josh was raw as he came. Like, you you got you to gotta give Brandon Bean a little credit now for drafting these raw dudes with such high upside. It, it's painful at first when, when, when they're trying to really refine their skill set, but that's, that's a talent evaluator for you. A guy that can go out and find these dudes, they're the real deal. And speaking of Brandon, he better go ahead and pay Dawson before it's too late. He's paid everybody else. I don't know wh where he's finding all this money, but he, he's proven he can find it. So Dawson needs to be next like yesterday, just in case anybody's wondering. But anyways, he's the best man. He's the best kid ever. He's a grown man. He's the best man ever. He's going to continue to set the world on fire because he's just – he's a little bit like Kyle in the fact that some of the things he can do athletically and the thing – and how powerful he is, you see him throw people off of him like they're kids. He's just got to – He's one of those people that God sprinkled the fairy dust on that said, all right, I'm going to make you more explosive, jump higher, run faster. He didn't need triple F gym. Let's put it that way. So, um, and, and he's got the best family on the planet. Um, so uh, he, he, he was definitely on a triple F candidate, but he, uh, he's awesome, man. He's going to be a lot of fun for the, the bills to watch with Josh for, for a long, long, long time. Uh, as long as uh, Brandon hurries up and gets his checkbook out for it's too late. You know he doesn't shampoo his hair. Did he ever tell you that? His hair – listen, the, I tell him all the time. He's too, he took over that, uh, my kind of role in the Pump Foundation while I was up there, which was more important to me than anything throughout my career, those kiddos and Gwen and all the girls over there. Dawson's taking that whole thing over and, and, and making sure that, that he keeps it going. And uh, I did an interview with some of the people in Buffalo just about his knock socks and all the stuff he's able to do this year and how he had his breakout year in the same year, he, you know, promised donations tied to this and that. So um, the fact that he is doing exactly what he's doing makes me happier than I can ever speak of because of the human being he is, but he's almost too good to be true. Like, where's these guys flaws, you know? And I tell him all the time, it's that ugly ass hair. It's so bad. And the fact that he doesn't wash it doesn't surprise me. It's just one more little cherry on top that I can give him hell about because it's brutal to look at. But he loves it, man. And I guess, you know, all the ladies love it. My kids obviously love it. My, my son's hair looks about the same right now. So I offered the lady at Sports Clips the other day a $100 tip to shave it off. She wouldn't do it. So uh, I guess that's the new style, man. You, you got a little bit of it going yourself there. Yeah, you yeah, got to yeah. maintain. You're, you got like the fluffy mullet. Um. And, and a nice solid beard. So uh, I, I'm going to give you a, a, a tip over Dawson. Dawson's is brutal. Well, Jonah is a, a no shampoo guy too. We've talked about it on the show before, not with you, of course, Lee, but yeah, he has a, uh, he's, there's a lifestyle out there. It's called no poo. You can say no hi, shampoo. Okay. Cause usually you always say that I'm not allowed to go. Yeah. So, yeah. You can say hi to Mr. Tim. Hello. Hi. She, Hello. She's, she's, she's wondering where the bird is. All right. Oh, I see. Go, go with your mom. Well, I got rid of it, put it in the laundry room because it wouldn't shush. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, what, what's, does it smell okay? But you'd, uh, somebody else would have to tell you that. 
And I do use shampoo, but I try not to use it. I gave it up for several years, and I don't use it very often. It's supposed to be better for your hair. Really? Like Tim would look like a million bucks if he gave up that shampoo. So shampoo actually like beats up your hair, huh? Yeah, strips it of natural oils. And, and using shampoo every day is really kind of the worst of it. But Joan is into some real weird stuff when it comes to hygiene. He's also the big uh, – uh, is your daughter still there? No, no, we're, we're good now. We, we okay, Joan also is a believer on uh, getting uh, sunlight on your, uh, on your butthole. No, 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 wow. on, on your testicles. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's, he's, not, he's saying no because he's now being You got me off right by now. about an inch and a half there. It's testicles that need Oh, I, it's testicles, sunlight testicles. Yeah. Uh, that's yes, good for you. I've been around you long enough, Tim, to know that that's why I turned the computer before anything crazy was said to make sure y'all knew my daughter was here. It's right? like, like I tell my friends, if you have right. me on your car phone, it's your own fault with your kids in the car. Like right. you give me a little hooty hoo. Um, All right. So I got I to gotta ask here while we have a, a window where there's no child in the room. So you've mentioned a couple of great sayings. And it's reminiscent of a, a discussion Jonah and I had at the last Bills game uh, at, the, at the Patriots game beforehand. Um, you, you used uh, fart in a whirlwind, uh, shit or go blind. I have some sayings that my father uh, has imparted to me. Then we were talking about it because uh, some different people had never heard him before. Um, you'll have to let me know because I, I think that maybe my, my father comes from the Louisville, Kentucky area. Yep. I think probably, you know, not, there, there's probably some sayings. I, I think we're probably dealing with the same, uh, the same people here. Uh, how about the saying, uh, happy as a dog with two dicks? Yep, I heard it. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's kind of, that's kind of pop. I've heard that a bunch of times. Yeah, uh, nervous. It's a, it's, it's a great saying. It absolutely is. Uh, nervous as a dog shitting razor blades. Heard it. Yeah, that's a good one yeah. too. Um, now, I think my dad messed this up because I looked for it online. And, and I, so I'll say the way he said it's, he's also nervous as a monkey trying to fuck a football. Uh, I've heard that before, but I don't know if nervous came first. It's, it's right. more of like, listen, that, that dude's such a clown. He looks like a boom. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I it's, think my dad botched it, but yeah, it's, it's still just, hilarious. Yeah. He just, he just started using it for nervousness. Yes. N normally in my, in my experience, it's been for like dudes that just like, why is that guy doing what he's like? He, he obviously Confusion. has. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, nervous is a whore in church. Well, that's the, that's the big one down here. Yeah. Yeah. That's the big one. That's the by, most used. I mean, when you say that's by the, far the most, is used. it on billboards or. Yeah. 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 A few, like you got to go out to the country a little bit. It's homemade signs. like hanging on people's mailboxes and shit, stuff like that. Any, it's not any like a big billboard on I-75 or anything. <laughs> it's not, it's, it's it, buddy. Listen, you, you gotta, you gotta adapt. It's a different world we live in now, pal. You can't hurt people's feelings and put stuff like that in public anymore. I might want to get off this show before you ruin me. Yep. <laughs> that doesn't trigger any that you might want to give me that you want to try me with a couple, you know, I'll text you, I'll text you off air, all my good ones, but I typically use them. So if you haven't heard me say them, but all those right. are definite Southern sayings. I just personally don't, don't use them uh, as much. Like I said, I'm trying to adjust a little bit here, man. I'm leaving this animalistic environment trying to go love on kids. So I gotta, at some point I got to develop a little more sense at some point. I see. Did you, yeah. did you hear anything playing up in Buffalo in the Northeast that people say that it would make uh, you know a Southerner scratch their head? You know, not that I put the memory bank. You know what I mean? Like, like imagine Tim's dad, and then imagine Tim. I know I would like Tim's dad so much more than Tim. So it's like I just kind of ignored all the ones that didn't 
you know, make me feel warm and fuzzy. Oh, that was weird. I didn't like memorize it. I'm like, that was weird. And I just, you know, thought about it for two seconds and then, you know, aborted it out of my brain. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I like my dad a lot more than I like myself. That's, that's, that's for sure. Now my dad's not with us anymore. And I don't mean to get, uh, you know, sentimental here, but I was going to ask, I think I remember meeting your father uh, on the Baldwin Wallace college campus in 1989, when he was playing for the Browns, I was a freshman at Baldwin Wallace. That's where the Browns worked out. Uh, and I, when I see a picture of your dad, I'm quite certain that I met him. Uh, I think I met him at uh, like uh, at the ba- at the basketball court. Those guys used to play pickup games at our at our school. Uh, your dad died uh, before he could ever see you play a down in the NFL. Died in 2010. You were drafted in 2011. Now that your career is over here, what do you think your dad would have thought of how his son uh, handled his NFL career? Well, I'm sure I've talked to you a little bit about it, Tim. Over the years, is like. You know, my dad was the best man I'd ever known for the first 10 years of his life. And that's to date as well. I mean, I never saw him drink a beer, never heard him say a cuss word, never heard him raise his voice with my mom. There was, you know, Bible studies at my house once a week growing up. You know, we were the family that everybody else wanted to be. And then it all just went to hell in a handbasket. There's one for you. Uh, Immediately once that liquor got him. And it didn't take like five years to get him. It seemed like five days. It was just like – the stress of leaving the NFL and I'm not making excuses for him. You know, trust me, I'm still mad at him a little bit to this day that he didn't see me play. He didn't see my son's play. He like, you know, I'll never not be vulnerable enough to admit that, you know, he still pisses me off when I think about him at times, the way he kind of let our family down, but no more NFL money, no more notoriety. Everybody in the community found out he was bankrupt and we were living in little, you know, shitty houses all over town. And he wasn't pro football Daryl Smith anymore. He was the failure in his mind. Um, and couldn't have been farther from the truth because everybody loved him. Because like I said, he was he was just the best, man. And then poof, it all switched. So um, if, if the first 10-year version of my dad was still here, then – you know, it would be an absolute wonderful ride for me, him, and my two sons to be on my farm, you know, talking about this journey and the closure of 11 years. And people tell – I was talking to my cousin earlier, you know, the first thing she said is your dad – she called me about my retirement and things, and she just said your dad would be so proud. And I'm – of course he would. And just like I would be if either one of my boys go on and do this and, and hopefully do it the right way and, and, uh, and play a long time. So it sucks he's not here, but – the, the version of him that would be here, I'm not so sure it's not better for the, for the world that he's not here, man. And that's brutal and hard to say, but it was it just got so bad that, uh, that it, he, he was just, it was rough. And, um, and it was and everywhere he went, you know, hell and carnage followed him there towards the end. So first 10 years of my life, Daryl, man, I wish he was here. I really do. It would have been just the most wonderful experience ever to go through that with him because he's my best friend, my hero, the guy I looked up to. But then that, that final part, which let's call it what it is, it had grabbed him so bad that, that if, if he wouldn't have died, that's, that's most likely the guy we would still have here. And that's not somebody I'm interested in being around or my kids being around, unfortunately. So uh, it's cool, man. Two, two uh, father-son played. He, uh, he was the journeyman that was scared to get fired every day of his career. You know, he didn't get to sit back and kind of enjoy the protection of guaranteed money and a little bit of success and, some of the things I've been able to do throughout my career, you know, guaranteed money is a bulletproof vest in our business. And it kind of allows you to 
sit back and you end up playing better ball too. That's what's crazy is, you know, there's definitely those guys that take their foot off the gas and, and, uh, and, and kind of don't, don't play as hard anymore, but then they don't get a second and third contract. They get that one and they're kind of gone. But, but for me, I always felt that once I got a little guaranteed money and a little security, it just allowed me to really thrive and play better. And, um, my dad never got that. So, um, he still played six years and had a good career. I'm sure when you met him, he was awesome. Big old smile on his face, great energy, somebody everybody loved. So, um, so that's cool. It's a small world, man. Uh, uh, not many times I get to meet dudes that, that was around him and, and uh, remember the good side of him. Did his struggles transitioning into retirement, is that even in the back of your mind or do you contemplate that when you, when you want to make sure that you stay busy? Of course it does, man. Of course it does. His addiction stays in my mind. Listen, I got a very addictive personality. I'll be the first one to tell you. Moderation and me are not friends. And that's with everything. That's with and, and you've you've been around me a bunch, man. You 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 know how I'm wired. You've seen me in, especially in my element, in my environment at work. So as as selfishly as it sounds, this gym is a lot for me too, to to walk into this environment full of of and I'll train girls too. Uh Softball players, volleyball players are big down here in town. You know, I never had a sister, thank God. Uh, there's no telling how that would have been turned out um, with, with my poor dad's demise. But, um, but you know, I've, uh, I, I would love to, to mentor and, and love on some of, these, some of these young girlies around here, too, that are ballers. But my main deal is young men. I know how their brains work. You know, I, I know that from 12 to 18, God makes women a lot smarter than men. And even the ones with good parents screw it up and act like a damn fool. So the ones that don't have parent leadership at home, sometimes they have no chance. So um, so my, my father was never met his dad. To this day, I don't know who my grandfather was. He grew up in a trailer park in East Tennessee. And um, my Nana was one of the most loyal, awesome, best women to ever live, walk planet Earth. I miss her every day, my dad's mom. But, um, but it absolutely is in the back of my mind all the time. I wake up every day and, uh, you know, I, I, I just I, – I, I'm worried to death that I will become that. And that's what I fight every day, man. I fight every day to make sure that my family doesn't have to deal with the crap that me and my brothers dealt with and my mom dealt with. So um, – uh, but I'm still crazy. I still have a bunch of screws loose. I'm still going to jump off the rails every once in a while. But my pastor's on speed dial. My wife's tough as nails and all these kids, all these four kids of mine staring at me, you know, with, with just amazement, like I'm something special because I'm their daddy is, uh, is, is all the pressure on me. <clears throat> Triple F gym is going to open in Knoxville, Tennessee this summer. That's something that we didn't talk about. You're having it built from scratch. You didn't want to just uh, use somebody else's building. This is being constructed to your specs uh, based on what you're used to in the NFL and uh, the, my, the, uh, the renderings look really impressive. Um, so uh, a lot of rewarding work. And uh, I know that um, appearing on a podcast is a lot cheaper than therapy. But uh, I think we've, uh, I think we've, uh, we've uh, understood some uh, truths here uh, with Lee and uh, why you feel the need to give back. Uh, and help and uh, make sure that the guys coming up are, have it, uh, have it figured out as best they can. So uh, uh, you're leaving a mark and you'll continue to leave a mark. I know it. I appreciate it, buddy. You know, I'm always a phone call away to jump on here with you. You're my guy. You always treated me well. Uh, Jonah, uh, I think we need to 
figure post football, I need to figure out a way to invent like some non damaging shampoo. Yeah. Because I, I just feel like you should wash your hair every day of your life, <laughs> crying out loud. Um, so we got to figure that out, Tim. I mean, we'll just be doing <laughs> podcasts on shampoo forever, just riding, you know, living on our private island. Well, that could be a fourth F for you. You got faith, family, football, and follicles. I'm telling you. <laughs> it, I'm telling you. It's, listen, man, it, there's, no way, there's no way you keep a constant good smell in that stuff. So we have to figure it out. We have to. Tim, when you've heard of the football players, like today's football players, and they get in, they get tripped up by some zany scheme, or they got some friend who wants them to invest in something, you know, some really crazy uh, thing, and they end up losing, you know, fifty grand or five hundred grand. I think that's what we're gonna maybe get Lee Smith on is uh, maybe you can help bankroll um, some some research and and uh, some lab work regarding a, a non-shampoo uh, hair cleanser. Listen, man, I think I'm an NFL employee until March. Uh, once kind of free agency in the league year starts, I'm officially unemployed. So I am in no my, – my wife has a little bit of money, just a little bit. I'm busted. So I'll ask her if I can borrow some. And if she says <laughs> yes, I'm willing to take one for the team for Dawson, Jonah, and all the poor <laughs> souls out there that smell so bad. You know, there's a bunch of kids in in uh, in seven nine months that are going to be born named Dawson. You know, that's how it is with sports. There's going to be Joshes and Josh. There's going to be kids with the first and middle name Josh Allen, Josh Allen Jones, Josh Allen Williams, and and once again, and Dawson man, Knox. That's a good double name, I think. Yeah, Dar- Dawson Hard Knox or something. Some kid will be named middle name Hard. Um, it's <laughs> it's just it's. I swear, man, it's crazy. I literally got to be a fan for the first time watching my buddies play, which is so cool. Just the whole deal of first time as a non-player, my buddies playing. And I, as much as, once again, all the gurus, like you said, you know, tight end was a big question mark. And, and maybe they were trying to get Zach. Maybe they weren't. Uh, either way, having Zach and Dawson wouldn't have been a bad thing. The, the more good players you have, the better. But – um. But we all knew what was coming with him, man, all of us. And I don't just mean me because I was a veteran tied in with him. I mean all of us. Just like when you're walking off that field with in 2019, I'll never forget it. They were booing us walking off. And I was walking right with Josh. And I'm just like, man, if, if this kid can – a young man can keep that FU attitude, which he hides it pretty good, but I think you can all feel it, that he's the perfect Buffalo quarterback. He's got that swag. He'll say the right things with a smile on his face, but you can look in his eyes and, and know what he's thinking sometimes. He's just a stud. And I just said, if he can keep that about him and just ignore this noise, uh, he's going to shred people. And that's exactly what happened both of them. But back to it, I see why these fans are so crazy, man. It's just emotional. I was losing my mind sitting there watching that game. Just totally helpless. There's nothing you can do. Being a player is nice because you can at least – it's just different, man. It's different when you're on the outside. It's so different. It was awesome, though. It was fun. I mean, I got to go get another bottle of Crown Oil for my bar. But besides that, it was – like I said, I don't do moderation, especially not when I'm stressed out like that. So then I got to not drink for a month to make sure I'm not Daryl Smith. Thanks, Bills. <laughs> Crown Oil. You and my dad would have gotten along great. Yeah. Uh, I, I have it on occasion for him, um, and uh, I always wished he would have uh, picked Jameson. But there you go. You're, it makes me mom. feel it makes me feel closer to the old man uh, to have some crown. I get um, 
Lee, thanks for this. And uh, good luck with uh, three, uh, I keep wanting to say three F. It's uh, triple F gym. Faith, family, football, in that order. You always make it a point to say in that order. Triple F gym in Knoxville. It's going to open in the summer of 2022. And uh, wish you the best of luck and congratulations uh, on a long and entertaining career. Um, you made uh, you made football fun, uh, if, and sometimes it doesn't get that way. Sometimes uh, it gets, which is the role that you always enjoyed to play. Let's remind let's remind these guys that this is a, a game, and uh, let's have some fun. But I'm with you, brother. You the man. I've enjoyed you over the years. If you're down in Knoxville, call me, Jameson on me. I'm not. I'm not the man, especially if you get a couple of Jamesons in me, you'll find out how soon, how not, how not the man I am. Uh, Lee, thanks for doing this. You got it. Jonah. Thanks buddy. Uh, thank you, Lee. All right, guys. Y'all have a great day.